Welcome to A Long Time in Finance, the podcast that takes a sharp and sometimes acerbic look at the often absurd world of money through the eyes of two journalists who've, well, spent quite a long time in finance. That's me, Jonathan Ford, and him, Neil Collins. back to a long time in finance and today we're talking about inflation. Why are we talking about this deal? Well uh, if you look at what's happening the uh, retail prices index which is the best measure we've got is already at seven percent and the Bank of England expects the other in- index that we have to get past seven percent this year. I think and we said so, we weren't going to do the RPI. Well I think we did but I've just done it. <laughs> uh, and, but the, the I don't want to get involved too much in the niceties of the indices, but the fact is both of them are uh, flashing red. And uh, the question is, how is it going to affect people's lives and what on earth can we do about it? Yeah. So the, the normal measure that we use nowadays is, is this consumer price inflation, which is at 5.4%, which is its highest level in 30 years. And so that, you know, goes back to when I was reasonably young. And as as you say, it's going to go up to maybe 7%. Yeah. Um, now, I think you've got one or two uh, historical comparisons here to, uh, to to just put it into context. So perhaps you could do that. <laughs> I'll do it very, very quickly. OK, so I, I, the interesting thing, of course, is that inflation has gone through 5%, which is sort of generally where it's seen to become a problem. Um, and I look back to when had inflation gone through that level before? And the answer is it's gone through it about five or six times in the UK, uh, immediately after the Second World War, during the Korean War, um, briefly during the Suez Crisis. So you're detecting a kind of pattern here of, uh, of war and crises. And then a very, very long period, which Neil's very familiar with from 1969 to 1982, when inflation really went ripping away and peaked at about 25% in 1975. And then the very last time in the late 80s and early 90s, when basically there was a big house price boom, wasn't there, Neil? Uh, Another one. Um, We always seem to be having house price booms in the UK, which I think is one of the underlying problems of the economy. But, uh, Jonathan, which one of those bursts do you think is most appropriate to describe where we are today? Well, the one which most interested me, and it came out in a paper which was produced not about the UK, actually, but about the US by the Council of Economic Advisers, a sort of White House body that advises the president. And they looked at those, and and, and funnily, there's an almost perfect match between what happens in the US and the UK in, in inflation. And they looked at it and they said the one that most most struck them as uh, relevant was the one after the Second World War, which would be quite good news if it was true, because it was relatively short. So um, why? why uh, what happened there? OK, so at the end of the Second World War, obviously, the whole of industry was devoted to building weapons, tanks, guns and so forth. And it needed to switch itself back to civilian production. So there was a huge wave of investment. People were being sucked back into the labour force from the army. And on the consumer side, of course, people had spent the wartime years building up big savings because they couldn't spend their money because there was rationing. So there was a huge demand for consumer durables. And so 
after the Second World War, I think between the three years after the Second World War, US consumers sort of caught up on their spending and a population of 140 million bought 20 million fridges, 21 million cars and 5.5 million cookers. So, OK, so you think that that's the nearest parallel to the position we're in today, where there is quite a lot of pent up savings because people haven't been able to uh, use the money that they've accumulated. Correct. So the Council of Economic Advisers said, well, look, the parallels are these. One is businesses closed during Covid, mm -hmm. people stayed at home spending on certain things collapsed like entertainment and travel and the savings rate ballooned so they said okay. you've had the same combination of the e economy sort of closing down and then reopening and people having lots of money in their pocket so that is the sort of benign interpretation that it will all come out in the wash eventually so basically, i'm afraid i can't remember that but I can remember the <laughs> 1970s. <laughs> and that is the parallel that okay. I find is the most disturbing, uh, even though there are quite a lot of uh, aspects of it which don't apply. So first of all, yeah, to, to take us through the, the dark days of the 70s that you witnessed and what went wrong. The money supply, uh, the amount of money in the economy, uh, was allowed to... Uh, soar away in the early 70s uh, and it didn't seem to be doing any harm and uh, we had uh, quite an impressive boom but then we had the oil price shock uh, and the realization that the goods which were available to be bought were not keeping up with the supply of money into the economy so the the difference was made up of inflation because those goods started costing more and they cost more and more and more uh, and the Labour government imp imposed prices and incomes policies uh, which were to try and well they're just policies to try and um, price controls yeah price controls and a rather doubtful arrangement with the big trades unions not to ask for too much money. So what they were trying to do was they were trying to keep down the price of goods and then say to the unions, we've kept down the price of goods credibly, so you don't need to put everyone to pay up. Exactly. Uh, and but it didn't work. Why didn't it work? Sounds because I think the unions were too powerful for the government uh, and they uh, understandably put the interests of their members first uh, and those that didn't, uh, the bosses that didn't get pushed out, got pushed out. Uh, so uh, the prices were held, but the... So the price controls did work? Well, <laughs> up to a point, but uh, they were a very crude and complicated and bureaucratic uh, business, which I don't think, uh, if you looked at the chart of the uh, of inflation then, you could really spot any difference that they made. But can I, can, so just because just I think most, many of our listeners won't, will never have really thought about these things. So the way it would work would be that if I was a manufacturer of baked beans and I said I want to, oh my baked beans are more expensive or whatever, I need to put up the price. You had um, to go along to, to the Prices and Incomes Board excellent. and say, look, my costs have gone up, so can I put my prices up? And if they were feeling friendly, they would say yes, but not really all that much. Uh, otherwise, they'd say, no, no, you're making it up. You've got to buy more efficiently. But the whole thing was a bureaucratic nightmare. And actually, 
as far as one can tell from the figures, it made no significant difference to the rate of inflation. Well, well let's just, uh, just just think this through, because we, I mean, we have got a bit of experience of price caps recently, which is obviously in the energy market, and what we've just seen is all the energy suppliers have gone bust, um, mm. basically because they couldn't uh, continue to supply their customers within the price cap. Um, and, and one assumes that you know, price caps just must be incredibly distorting in the sense that if yeah. you can't make money out of baked beans, you stop producing them. Exactly. So uh, I think that we learned then that this was not a good idea. And the way that the inf double digit inflation was brought under control in the 1970s was by a pretty vicious credit squeeze, very high interest rates. Uh, I mean, Mortgages cost you fifteen percent at the uh, at the at the height of the uh, of the squeeze, uh, and even that was only possible with a government subsidy to the building societies. So uh, that sort of cost of money made us a very big impact on people's behaviour, and it was highly deflationary. And the rate of inflation having peaked uh, in the in the mid nineteen seventies came down dramatically helped by uh, a budget from the Chancellor, then Geoffrey Howe, which was universally condemned by the economics establishment, but laid the foundations for about 20 years of steady economic growth. OK, so you're saying basically it's not enough just to stop sort of eating sweets and uh, generally having a good time. You actually had to go through a long course of cod liver oil at 15 percent of what it was <laughs> in order to in order to you know repent fully yeah. of this folly yeah. but uh, let's just think about where we are now because as you yourself have pointed out on many occasions we have very 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 low interest rate, not just not 15 percent uh they are not point bugger all percent not point five percent there's a big uh, are we saying that we really have to jack interest rates up to those sort of astronomical levels. Are you that pessimistic uh, about no, where we are? No, I'm nothing like that pessimistic. But um, the uh, the Bank of England has got to remember, the Monetary Policy Committee of the Bank of England has got to remember that its uh, remit is to keep inflation as close as possible to 2%. And they are CPI miles inflation. away from that at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and putting up interest rates to half a percent is not really going to touch the sides. I I can can't see a return for to double digit interest rates, but a return to something closer to to normality, say four or five percent against inflation of two percent. So the real cost of money is about three percent. Uh, seems to me to be where we should be aiming, and we are awfully aiming. long way from that. Okay. So, so, of course, the other dimension to this is that we obviously are the, live in an economy which is, is probably, uh, you'd be the expert on this, but I mean, it's probably more, much more leveraged. People have much more debt now than they did in the 1970s or even in the 1990s, mainly because, of course, a very long period of very, very low interest rates has encouraged people to take on more borrowings because they're so easy to service. So if one's saying that interest rates need to rise to a point where they start to have an appreciable effect on consumers' behaviour, that point could be quite low relative think, to where we, well, where we had to get to then, uh, simply the, because everyone will start squeaking fairly quickly. The consumer uh, borrowing which matters more than anything else, of course, is mortgages. 
uh, uh, which is the vast bulk of most people's debt. And mortgage rates, for various reasons, are extremely low at the moment. Uh, and last week, ironically enough, on the same day that the bank uh, raised its base rate, Lloyds Bank launched a mortgage 1.6% fixed for 10 years, uh, which shows how distorted we've become. But if interest rates were to rise to, say, 2%, I think that would mean the end of uh, these very low-cost mortgages and people will suddenly realise that the actual cost of a mortgage was something they had to think pretty carefully about um, before they rushed in to get a bigger one. Okay, so let's think, let's, let's, before we move on, let's, let's just address one little point which came out this last week, which was the, uh, the question of what can you do? And of course, the, when that was put to Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, he said, well, the most important thing you can do is not to ask for a pay rise. <laughs> yeah, this is wonderful stuff, What do you, what do you stuff, make of that? What do you make well, of that? you know, it can, that... it's completely ridiculous. You know, talk about taking one for the team, you know, the team being 60 million people. Um, I think that's a, a very foolish thing to say. Uh, people will ask for pay rises uh, if they feel that they deserve it or if they can get away with it, and why not? And that is that that's how a capitalist economy is supposed to work. And they are certainly going to be asking for pay rises in the next few months because their cost of living is going to rise dramatically. Okay. Uh, quite just how dramatically remains to be seen. Yeah. Everywhere you look, there are price rises of yeah. one sort or another alongside the rise in taxation through national insurance. So people are going, the in, income's going to be squeezed at the same time as prices are going to go up. And that's not a recipe for people saying, oh, well, fair enough, I don't think I'll ask for a pay rise. Yes, and do we sort of foresee a massive, how successful are they likely to be in asking for pay rises? As you, as you yourself sometimes also pointed out, um, Britain, on the private sector side of the economy has pretty much de-unionized and the days in which they're kind of these terrifying union bosses of the sort we saw in the 90s Joe Gormley and co um Joe Gormley was, was, the, was, was, was he the was national the, union of mine workers no, actually, nationalized industry but to, a, to be fair man, to be fair man. to him he was a moderate yeah. compared okay, Scargill. to Arthur Scargill or or Mick McGahey he was a name from the Kundawiz from the past Anyway, these terrifying figures, are, they don't really have modern comparators, no, do they? they don't. The, the, the power of the unions is now really concentrated in the public sector. And uh, in the private sector, they are almost gone. Uh, so there is very little chance that I can see of uh, serious wage unrest outside the public sector. I think there's plenty of scope for it within the public sector. How much difference that will make, of course, is another question, since the public sector, by many measures, is extremely inefficient. OK, so so that's the kind of that's the So I, that's the kind of wage economic, you know, kind of miasma. Um, but let's think about what you can do, apart from ask for a pay rise. Um, you know, you having lived through it, what, what should one do with one's money? You know, in, because clearly we, we, we're going to live in a world where, in your vision, 
less less house price inflation than one's been used to. Uh, real prices may, may be going up at quite an alarming rate for a few years. Um, what does one do? Well, I don't think it's a great idea to um, you know to to get twelve months' supply of baked beans because probably they'll go off before Boarding. you get through half of them. <laughs> yeah, I think that that is, uh, is what people used to do in the 70s. They used to go and buy a whole year's supply of groceries and put it in the in the loft. And presumably after six months, they'd come up to find that the rats had eaten most of it mm. and they had to go out and buy it at the high, new higher prices. Okay. It's very difficult to know how you can uh, protect yourself against inflation. It is one of those things which, by its very nature, is a, it's defined as a generalised increase in price levels. And most of the things that you buy are uh, consumed and you have to buy, you have to replace them. So there's very little, very little that you can do. You know, you can put another jumper on to uh, and turn down the thermostat for the vicious increases in in gas prices that are coming. But beyond that, it's uh, it, it's hard to know. And at the time when inflation was in double digits, you could just buy things when you thought that they were uh, a reasonable value and maybe hoard a few. But you just really had to take it on the chin and hope that um, your employer would value you sufficiently to, um, to offer you a pay rise to try and keep, keep pace with it. Yes. Now, the other thing, of course, that people did, so on the investment side, of course, in the 1970s, one of the things that the, I think it was a British Rail Pension Fund did was they decided to invest in art. And I can't kind of quite remember how it came out, but many years ago, probably about 12 years ago, I had lunch with a a man who wrote a book about the Weimar inflation, a guy called Adam Ferguson. He was also very interested in inflation, worried in 2010 that it was going to come roaring back, ahead of his time, I think. Um, but he told to me about what he had done. He had basically invested in art in the 1970s. He bought some paintings by a man called, a Polish painter, I think, called François Lepine, and uh, maybe he's French, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's French. I don't know why I was Get on with it. <laughs> anyway, um, so he kept those paintings through the 70s and 80s, and then uh, with inflation safely tamed, he took them to an art dealer and said, could he thought he'd cash them in? The art dealer took one look at them and said, they're fakes. <laughs> so I said to him, that must have been very disappointing. What did you do with them? He said, well, you know, he said, I'd hang on to them for the next round of inflation <laughs> in the hope that they might become Lapines again. So, <laughs> so there's always hope. The, the only, the only <laughs> guaranteed inflation-proofed investment you can buy is uh, index-linked government stocks. But they already stand at such a high price oh, yeah. that although you will be protected against inflation, you are guaranteed to lose money because they will be redeemed at a price well below that you're paying, the, the, the one you're paying for. So I'm afraid that you really just have to have to take it. And the more interesting question, in my view, is are we just going to take it generally or are we going to revolt against uh, the administration and um, decide that uh, when they next ask the question, who's in charge, we're going to say, not you anymore, after all this inflation. Oh, this is a reference to Ted Heath we've discussed before. It his, is. Uh, who governs Britain. It is. Um, but yes, well, 
don't know. Uh, well, I, let's hope it doesn't come to that. That's all I can say. What I would say, uh, I, I think it's highly unlikely. I suspect we will absorb this very big spike in inflation. And I think, in my view, inflation will come down. It may not come down far enough for the Bank of England to be vindicated. It rather depends on how good they are at raising rates in the meantime. Uh, I don't see it down to 2%, certainly, for the next couple of years. However, on the horizon, of course, is the uh, transit to the green economy. Oh, no, and, all, and all the other things that uh, we don't okay we well no we, 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 that's for, I think we may have to leave that for another day because yeah. it's, uh, I mean, it's it could not, be another 20 minutes it's not down. reflected it's not reflected in the indices but you know that neither is the uh, national insurance rise reflected in the no. Uh, in the in the in the cost. mortgage rates reflected in the indices uh, yes but not um they're not very uh, representative uh, of what's happened in the housing market, whereas yeah. everybody knows the, uh, the it's the only sort of inflation that, as a general rule, people welcome. But of course, that's fine for those who've got a house, but it means that those who haven't mm. uh, are falling further and further behind. Yeah. And the average house price last year rose by more than the national average wage for a 20-something person in the UK economy. So in other words, however hard they try, they're further and further behind. But I think that's a subject for another day. That is. And I, 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 I don't want to end on a completely dark note. So I just I would just say that I'm almost uh, I'm hopeful that we will what we're going through will be more like the end of the Second World War than the 1970s. And uh, let's hope so. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, I don't it's think going to be. I just can't see it being as bad no, as then. We're not headed to the seventies again. I don't think so. I hope we have learnt uh, from bitter experience that uh, once inflation has got really established, getting it out of the system is extremely painful. And on that note. <laughs>